0: And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ, as we behold him in his glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. So have you guys ever thought to yourself, wouldn't it be nice if I just, if some person who I don't know and have never met, like a rich uncle had just a bunch of money, a huge mansion, if they wrote a will, and they included me in that will. And then they died, so I got all their money. I got everything they owned. Have you guys ever thought that to yourself? Because I definitely have. No? Yes? Some of you? Okay. I mean, that would be pretty cool. I've, I've thought that many times. Maybe that's not good to share, but... <laughs> it's like, I just hope someone would die and give me their money. <laughs> no, but... You know, that is that would be cool, right? To just get a bunch of money. But... Basically, to get money from someone that's willed, first, they've got to decide, um, I'm going to include this person in my will. I'm going to give them everything I own. So they choose to put your name in their will. And then next, they've got to die. They've got to die before you can get their money, before you can get their riches. And then they've got, someone's got to come tell you, about, tell you about what's yours, the inheritance, the inheritance that's come to you. And... Interestingly, that's pretty much what Ephesians 1 3 through 14 is about. It's about God, the maker of heaven and earth, who he's the possessor of heaven and earth. It says that a lot of places in the Bible. All things belong to him, the cattle on a thousand hills, according to Psalm 50. And He He's written a will before the foundation of the world. And He's put our names, every believer, He put your name in that will. Before the world began. And then. So that's the first thing. You had to put your name in the will. That's what Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 says. And then. What has to happen next before you can get the before you can get the inheritance? Someone has to die. Well, that's what verses 7 through 10 say. They say that Jesus came and died so that we could get the inheritance. Redemption means being brought out of slavery and made a son so that you get the inheritance. And then. They've got to send someone to you to give you that inheritance, to tell you that it's yours. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes to us. He applies the Father's plan from all eternity, writing His will, putting our name in it. The Son dying for those whom God chose. The Holy Spirit comes and causes us to believe. And then He assures us that all the riches of heaven belong to us. So, tonight, I'm going to be preaching on 1, 11 through 14, and the title of my sermon is Our Sure Inheritance. Our Sure Inheritance. And so, let me read this passage. I'm going to read verse 3 and then 11 through 14, and we will get started. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In him, going to verse 11, he chose us, he redeemed us. In him, Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the Holy, promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I'm going to pray again. Father, give us help to understand your word. Lord, we know when we come to your word, it's like coming to a gold mine. And there's so many things, so many treasures here. And would you cause us to delight as we study it, as we learn it. Help me, my voice, help it to be strong to finish this sermon and fill me with your spirit, Lord, and teach them about what you've got here in your word and make all of our hearts receptive to your word so that we would go away rejoicing because we've understood what your word says for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we have a sure inheritance and based on this text, I've got three points. Verse 11 is, it's granted by our sovereign God. Point two is it's given freely to all who believe in Jesus. Point three, it's guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. So our sure inheritance is granted by our sovereign God, given freely to all who believe and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. So first, just read verse 11 again. And we're going to look at that. It's granted by our sovereign God. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. I'll stop there. So, first of all, what is this inheritance? I've been saying that word a lot. What does that mean? Because I've been confused about it in the past. I've only recently kind of gotten a better understanding of what this is. The inheritance is basically another way of saying heaven. It's another way of saying eternal life. And here he's saying we have obtained an inheritance. It's like, he's like, it's surprising. It's surprising that someone like me would would be the recipient of this great thing. The, the emphasis is more not on what the inheritance is, but on how we receive it. The word "have obtained an inheritance" is one word, and it means like drawing a lot or like drawing your name out of a bucket. And his point is that it's like it's like winning the lottery, a spiritual lottery. It's like out of the billions of people, I get to have eternal life. I get to be. I get to belong to the Lord. I get to have this inheritance. So the inheritance is eternal life. It's heaven. It's being with God. And it's, it's drawn from the Old Testament. If you look at the Exodus, it's got this, like the whole, three, verses 3 through 14, is all drawing from the Exodus. That God, he chose Israel. He loved them, even though they were not that great. They were not the greatest nation. They weren't righteous. They were idolaters. But he still chose them anyways, which is very true of us. And then, he redeemed them. They were in slavery in Egypt. They were worshiping idols, it says in Acts 7. And... But he he went to redeem them, to bring them out of their slavery by having a Passover lamb um, cover them so they would not die. And then he brought them out. And that's true of us. We were slaves to sin, to death. We were slaves under the law. It was hard service. We could never earn our way out. But God came down. He died for us. And then they were brought out to wander in the wilderness. And then eventually we received the inheritance, the promised land. So when he talks about the inheritance, he's talking about basically in the picture of the Old Testament. He's saying that we receive, we receive our promised land is heaven. It's being with God. It's the new heavens and the new earth when God finally comes and he makes everything right. He raises us from the dead. And I'm going to just describe this inheritance in three parts. The good part, the better part, and the best part. So first is the good part. And... think about what was it like, you know, before the fall, Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2. They were created. They were dwelling with God. They loved one another. They had no fear, no shame, no no frustration, no pain, no suffering, no sorrow, no sadness. They never had to stay up super late to do a school project. They never just were maybe made fun of by other people. It was perfect. But then when they sinned, it brought the curse, it brought death, it brought sorrow. When they sinned, they were, instead of running to God joyfully, they were afraid of him. They were ashamed of their sin. They tried to cover themselves up. And it brought pain in their work, in childbearing it says, and it brought dissension. It brought, like, hatred and envy into their relationships with one another. So now instead of people loving one another, they hate each other, they hurt each other, they say mean things about each other. So heaven, the good part about heaven, is that that's all gone. There won't be any sorrow. Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Why? For the former things have passed away. So there won't be those things in heaven. So that's good. Like, we don't want suffering. We want to just enjoy good things. And heaven's going to be better. Like, the best part of this world is only a little foretaste of the glories of heaven in that sense. But that's just the good part of heaven. The better part is that we'll be freed from our sins. The good part, there's no more suffering. Second, the better part, there's no more sin. If you're a believer, God's changed your heart so you love him. You want to obey him, honor him, glorify him. But often we fail. Often we sin We make mistakes. And it grieves our heart. I'm sure some of you have been grieved that though you love God, you so often fail to honor him. And that's going to be no more. One day you'll be free from all your sin. One day you'll be able to worship him and enjoy him forever. And nothing will separate you from his love. And so there'll be no more sin. Isn't that great? That's the better part. But the best part is God himself. Forgiveness, redemption, election, all those things we've talked about, they're just means to an end. The goal of all of salvation is that we could be brought back into a relationship with God. That we could know him, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And he's the best part. He's the best part of heaven being with God, seeing him. Jesus, when Jesus was praying for us in John 17, and all who, all who believe in the gospel, he said, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, would be with me where I am to see my glory, which you gave me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus loves us so much. And as the one who loved us <laughs> infinitely and wanted the best for us, his prayer was that we'd be able to see his glory, be able to worship him forever. That's the best part of heaven, being with God. And if you are a believer, you've tasted some of that, his presence, enjoying him, glorifying him. And you know, it's, it's just the beginning. There's so much better in heaven. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. At his right hand, our pleasures forevermore. So that's the inheritance. We're free from suffering and free from sin so we can glorify God forever and enjoy him. And so Paul's saying here, we need to worship God because we've been made recipients of that inheritance. In him we have obtained an inheritance. So he's using the language of like drawing a lot or drawing your name out of the hat or winning a lottery, because it's like, why me? You know, sometimes when we something bad happens to us, we say, Why me? I don't deserve this. But when we're saved, a Christian would say, Why me? I don't deserve this. I don't deserve salvation. I know I'm a sinner, I've made a lot of mistakes. I'd be the last person to get eternal life. But I, I do have it. I have obtained an inheritance in Christ Jesus. Why does this happen? Now, with a lottery, you might kind of say, or, you know, I, I'm not condoning lottery, just so you know, but with that, you might say, oh, it's just, you know, dumb luck, blind chance, whatever. But, or, you know, like casting lots, like it just happens. But the Bible says, Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So we believe that nothing happens by chance. Even our faith, our repentance, so that we could receive eternal life, that was something that God determined. And that's what it says in Ephesians 1.11. Look at the text. It says, We've obtained an inheritance, so this, we were given this privilege of salvation. Why? What led to this? What happened to make this possible? Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So, predestined, that's like two words, pre and destined. It just means before we did anything, before the world began, God determined that we would believe. God predestined us according to that means like 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 you make a plan a checklist and you you do your day according to that checklist you check it off bit by bit by bit and God basically he purposed he made a purpose for all of creation and he's caused everything to happen according to that plan I hope that makes sense but according to the purpose of him who who's this him that we're talking about it's the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So basically what this is just saying is that before God does anything, before he acts, he makes a plan. He ma- He takes counsel. It's like, a, like when we were playing football on Saturday, seventh and eighth grade boys. And before we make our play, we get up in our huddle and say, you're going to go that way. You're going to go that way. You're going to go that way. I'm going to throw it to you. And... God, before he acted in creation and redemption, he made a plan. He got in a Trinitarian huddle, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> like, we're going to save all these sinners, even though they don't deserve it. We're going to save them. We're going to send Jesus. You're going to go into the world to die for them. And then, Holy Spirit, you're going to go and you're going to give them new hearts that they believe in you, in, in Jesus. So, so that is... God's plan, God's purpose. He say, why? Why do we receive this inheritance? It's because God chose us. It's because God predestined us to that. And I know that's like a hard doctrine. JT preached on it uh, like two weeks ago. But it's a glorious thing. And that's what he says, verse 12. So that, why did he do it? So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. It's all for God's glory. Because if I could say it was because of my choice, because of I mustered up the faith and the good works and all these things that God chose me. Then it's saved partly to my glory, but it's all of God. It's all of his grace. So it says to the praise of his glory alone, and it leads us to worship him. And that's a comfort too, because God didn't choose you. 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10 says, who saved us, not because of our works, our good works done by us in righteousness, but because of his purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the world began. God saved us because of his grace and purpose, which means no matter what we do, his purpose doesn't change. And we can be sure that we'll be with him in heaven. We can be sure of our inheritance. So we don't believe in cruel fate, in blind chance or dumb luck. We believe in wise and good providence. We believe in our sovereign God and Father who is merciful and just and holy and loving. And so when he's sovereign, he's not doing it as a tyrant. He's doing it as a loving father. Remember that. When we think about God's sovereignty, it's the sovereignty of a good, loving Father who's just. And that can assure us, everything we do, every, even our sins, God's working them into his plan to make us more like Christ, to prepare us for our inheritance. So that's the first point, based off 111, that God sovereignly grants us our inheritance. And that can assure us that we who believe, we're going to be there with him one day. Free from suffering, sin, and, and glorifying and enjoying God forever. And next verse, we've got verse twelve and thirteen. I want to show how it's given to all, given freely to all who believe in Jesus. Verse twelve again: so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So emphasis in this point, it's, it's emphasis on all, everyone who believes in him. They're going to they're have the inheritance. If you look at this text, you'll kind of notice that from 3 to verse, verse 3 to verse 12, he talks and he says, we... We've been predestined. We've been chosen. We have redemption in Christ. And then he says, we've obtained an inheritance so that we who are the first to in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. But then he switches verse 13. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Why does he switch like this? When, if you read the rest of Ephesians, you'll kind of get this. It, it's when he says we, he's talking about himself. And everyone who's associated with him. So that would be Jews. He's just talking about Jews who believe in the gospel. When he says you, he's talking to the Ephesians, which you know makes sense because it's a letter to the Ephesians. But he says, And and the Ephesians were mostly Gentiles, which means that they were not Jews, which means that they didn't they thought a lot of people would tell them, You don't get you don't get salvation. if you want to be saved, you've got to do all these extra things. And he's saying, You also. You also can have salvation. And he says the reason, well, I'll just walk through verse 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the Gentiles, when you Gentiles heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So he's saying it's not just salvation for Jews. It's also your salvation. People, it's, it's your salvation. That's, that's brought to you in the gospel. And... So when you heard that gospel and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The word sealed is like when a a king has a signet ring, and which it has his little crest on it, and he will press that into a wax thing to seal, to basically to seal the document or whatever. And it basically shows this is authentic. This is not a forgery. This is not a fake. This is a message from the king, which means it's authentic, and you better believe it or else you're going to be punished. (laughs) But when he says the Holy Spirit seal, it's just saying we're authentic. It's God's mark on us that we belong to him. So it says in Romans 8, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to him. (coughs) So we've received the seal of our inheritance. And he's saying you Gentiles received it. And that was an incredible thing to the Jews because they thought Gentiles... They're dirty. They're defiled. They're sinful. Why would God want to dwell with them? But if, if the Holy Spirit dwells in us, that means God doesn't consider us dirty anymore. Because would God make his Holy Spirit dwell in an unholy sinner? No. Would he? It's it's the temple in the Old Testament. It had to be clean before God's presence would come in. And so he's saying, when he put the Holy Spirit in the Gentiles, he was saying to them, I've cleansed you. You are clean. You're pure. You're holy in my sight. And so, that's why Paul called, he says, the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. He called them saints who are in Ephesus. Even though they were Gentiles, he called them holy people. And so, Acts fifteen one through 11, I'm not going to go there, but it's a super helpful passage for understanding versus 12-13. Basically, in the book of Acts, the Jews believed first, but then over time, the Gentiles believed. And they realized, if God's giving them the Holy Spirit, that means he considers them to be saints, God's people. And so, we might think, like, Gentiles, Jews, like, who cares? Uh, most of us are probably not Jews in this room, and most of us don't even think about the word Gentiles. So does that really apply to us anymore today? Does that really matter? And yes, it does. Because although although it's true that we don't really think in those terms anymore, there's still, the problem is that we, there's false gospels that say to you who you are. Because of who you are and the things you've done, if you want to be accepted by God, you've got to do a lot of extra things. You, God will not accept you until you make some changes and obey the law. And God says, God says, no. If you believe in me, I consider you holy and righteous in my sight. If you be- Jesus died for you to take your sin and then to give you his righteousness, to clothe you in his righteous robes. So, I don't know, have you ever been disturbed? Maybe thinking that God, the, the forgiveness of God, it's great, but it's just not enough for your sins. They're too great. And have you ever thought that there's something, just something about who you are or what you have done that is just so deep, so dark and so dirty that God won't forgive you and give you eternal life, the inheritance? Have you ever doubted that God's chosen you or that you really belong to Jesus? Or maybe you've just, there have been times where you fall into a sin and you think, I, I don't know how God could still love me after I did something this bad. I feel defiled. I feel dirty. I feel unclean. God's saying, I gave you the Holy Spirit when you believed, which means that I consider you holy and righteous in my sight. So just, just remember that, everyone. Remember, God loves what is holy. He loves what is holy, and he hates what is evil, and he's made you holy. He's cleansed you from your sins, which means he will never stop loving you. What, what God is called holy, says in Acts 10, don't call common, don't call it unclean, And God's called you holy. He's called you pure. He's called you free from sin. So that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. He's given us his stain-proof robes of righteousness, and they, they can't be stained, no matter how you could fall into a whole pit of muddy, stinky sin. And you'll come out with the robes of righteousness that Christ's given you still pure, still clean. And God will accept you. He'll hug you. (laughs) He'll bring you in. So the point is just that everyone who believes, that's what he was telling them. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. When you hope in Christ, when you believe in the gospel, the inheritance is yours. Because only saints receive the inheritance. Only the holy people receive the inheritance. And he's saying, you're holy. The Holy Spirit's given to you to prove that. Oh boy. (laughs) That was a mess. (laughs) Okay. And then he goes on. He says, he is the guarantee of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so that's the third point. It is guaranteed by the Spirit. And so, like, I'm going to go deeper into the words sealed and guaranteed, because they're not words that we use a lot in in the sense that he uses it here. So first of all, the word sealed, I described it before. On, on one side, it means it's authenticating something. Like, this is the true thing. It's like God writing a signature. I do, yes, I agree that this person is righteous in my side. It's like writing a signature on that. But also, it is like, it is something that, they would use to make something secure to make it irrevocable and so in Matthew 26 27, 64 through 66 it says that they they told the Jews after Jesus died and was buried they said they said to the guards go and make that tomb as secure as you know how so the guards went they had a huge Roman guard around it and then they sealed it Basically saying, nothing's getting in, nothing's coming out, it's secure. And of course, Jesus came out, (laughs) because nothing, death cannot hold him in. He rose again from the dead. So in that case, the seal is broken, because if there's something more powerful than the one who made the seal, they can break it. But God's one who's made the seal on us. When we believe in him, he's sealed us, which means he's saying, you're secure. I'm never going to change this decision I made to make you mine. Give you the inheritance. And no one's more powerful than God. So we're secure. <clears throat> so. Then you think, okay, I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. But whenever I hear stuff like, oh, if you have the Holy Spirit, then you know you're saved. But I'm like, how do I know I have the Holy Spirit? Like, <laughs> that's. That, that it was kind of a hard question for me to answer for a while. But as I read the Bible, more I learned that there is ways we can know that we are believers. One way is, first of all, if you read. It's faith, hope, and love. If you read Paul's letters, in the beginning of every one of them, it seems like he'll mention these. He'll say, I'm so grateful that God has shown that you're true believers because of your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. That's First Thessalonians 1 that I'm quoting. But Colossians 1 as in the beginning. Even Ephesians 1 down here. If you look at verse 15, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... Then later he talks about the hope to which he's called you in verse 18. So it's just always there. When Paul talks about, you know, how, could, how do I know that you really receive the gospel truly? What is the imprint the Holy Spirit has left on your life? He says, it's faith, hope, and love. So what are those? Faith means that when you sin, you know you don't deserve it. You don't deserve to be accepted by God, but you believe anyways. You believe Jesus died for me, and his sacrifice is sufficient to cover All my sins, his grace. My sins, there are many. Like the song we sang last week, his mercy is more. So you trust in Jesus when you sin. You trust in him that he's able to bring you all the way from the pit of your sin to the glories of heaven, to the glories of your inheritance. Hope is also kind of related to our inheritance. When you become a believer, you start to think, that means I'm going to be with God in heaven one day. I'm going to enjoy freedom from suffering, freedom from sin, freedom to enjoy and glorify God forever. And so you start to hope in that. So even when you suffer, you know, the suffering will come to an end. I'm going to be with God one day. And when you're tempted, you know, the pleasures of heaven, of being with God, are far better. So if I just wait, if I just persevere, if I just look to that hope, it's far better than the passing pleasures of sin, Hebrews 11 says, so... I hope in that. And you persevere in trials and temptations. So faith, do you believe in Jesus? Do you desire and eagerly expect that day when you'll be with God in heaven? And then love. Do you enjoy being with other Christians? Being with your here in the Word of God, even though sometimes the guys who talk are not that great, (laughs) like tonight, but... (laughs) You, you enjoy being with people, hearing the word of God, praying with them, singing songs of praise to God. You enjoy just also just playing basketball, doing things like that, having fun and joking. If you love other believers like that, it's, it's part of being a family. You love your brothers and sisters. You want to help them. You want to labor and serve them. When they suffer, you, just, you care for them. It's like, and when I talk about these, it's not... You're not assured by our perfection, though, just by the presence. When the Holy Spirit comes, it's like the COG, this imprint on the wax. He leaves imprint on your life. He causes you to believe in him, to hope in heaven, to love him. So, those are some things. Another one will be transformation. Not total perfect, that's only in heaven, but when you become a believer and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you can't love unholy things in the same way. You can't love them. Um, your relationship with sin changes. The sin you once loved, you now hate, Paul Washer would say. And the righteousness in the God you once hated and thought were boring and didn't care about, you now love. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. He, he causes us to not live for ourselves, but for him who for our sake died and rose again. That's Second 2 Thessalonians 5, or Corinthians 5. So that's how the Holy Spirit seals us. He reminds us of what Christ did for us too. He reminds us of the love of what, the one who loved us and gave himself for us when we were still sinners. He reminds us of the love of the Father and causes us to cry, Abba, Father, even when our greatest sufferings. And then we've got the guarantee. It's guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. A better word to translate that word is, it's down payment. So when, when, we, when someone buys a house today and they'll get their loan, they can pay up front to, to prove to them that I'm, I'm going to pay you the full amount later. They give, maybe it's like a $100,000 house, I don't know. <laughs> they give $10,000 say, I'm going to, here's what I'm going to give you now as a promise to make you satisfied for now. And then as a promise, I am going to give you the rest of the future. And in the same way God gave us the Holy Spirit saying, I gave you this now so that while you're waiting, there might be suffering, but the Holy Spirit will comfort you. It will satisfy you in the present, and it's a guarantee there's more to come in the future. What we have now is the first fruits. If you have a garden or animals, you'll get that first tomato or something, if you like tomatoes. you get that first man. and you're like, oh, so good. But that's just the first, and you know that there's going to be a lot more. So it makes you happy in the moment, but there's even more to come. That's what the Holy Spirit is. He's a gift to us to guarantee us. There's more to come. Another example would be an engagement ring. The guy who's in love with the girl gets a ring. He gives it to her. He says, Will you marry me? And then, you know, she wears that for however long. It's, it's saying... <laughs> sorry. That was not very... That was probably not as passionate as it should have been. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah. Um, he's saying, I love you. One day you're going to get all of me. I'm going to give all myself to you, and you're going to enjoy me forever. I'm going to enjoy you forever. We're going to be the best of friends. But even now, here's this promise. You have this now as a promise that I'm going to give you even more in the future. So that's what the Holy Spirit is. And think of the heart of God. He wants us to be assured of our salvation. He wants us to know that we're going to have the inheritance. So he gives us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee It's also like an appetizer. (laughs) You know, you get that first thing before the meal, and it's so good. It's like this is just the first. This is just appetizer. We've got five courses left after this. That's what heaven is. It's the extra five courses, but they're never ending. So the Holy Spirit guarantees our inheritance, And, and the point of all this is to just show you you're secure. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that's you're holy in God's sight. He's going to give you the inheritance. He's guaranteed it by, He's granted it to you by His sovereignty. He gives it to all who believe in Jesus Christ, and He guarantees it by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus left in John 14, He says, "I'm going away, and you're going to have grief now. But I want you to know that I'm going to send My Holy Spirit to you until I come back. He's going to remind you that I love you. He's going to guide you into all the truth. He's going to help you. He's going to be your helper, your Paraclete." And the word paraclete basically means someone who comes alongside you, and they help you. And they encourage you when you're down. They strengthen you when you're weak. So a picture would be like if heaven, the inheritance, is up on the top of a mountain, and our Christian life is climbing up that mountain. We might often be frustrated by our weakness. Sometimes it feels like we can't even put one step in front of the other. Sometimes we slip and we fall down because it's pretty steep sometimes. And we know we're weak. And we make mistakes and we fail. But the Holy Spirit is God's gift to us too. When we fall down, he lifts us up. When we stumble, he upholds us. When we're discouraged, he says, just a little bit further and you'll be with me in heaven. You'll be enjoying my presence forever, my gift to you. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us. He helps us. When we're tempted, he strengthens us. So that's what it means to be a helper. That's what the Holy Spirit is. And he is going to help us all the way to heaven until we get to the top. And why do people want to hike to the top of mountains? Because they want to see the view. And that's what we talked about before. We're going to see God better than any view. He is majestic. He is beautiful. He is glorious. We love to see beauty. God is the fountain of beauty. We're going to see him. Because that's what he's promised to us. That's what he's assured us of by giving us the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to praise him forever. Because we're only there, we know. We'll only be there because he came to save us. Father, thank you for saving us. Not because of our good works, but because of your purpose and grace. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we're going to be with you in heaven. Help us to praise you more. And just bless the small groups now as they go. To talk about this truth. In your name, amen.